This podcast contains potentially adult language, adult themes, definitely drinking, and possibly sexual context. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Drinking with Authors, the podcast. This is a very, very, very special edition because we have some of the creators from StoryForge and the launch of a very cool thing, but I'm going to let them tell you about it. I am your host, Erica Lance, um, and I'm going to introduce every single person Then we're going to talk about what we're drinking. So here we go. First, Mr. Rick Hines. Woo! In the house! Hello. I am in the house. There is a roof above me. I am not in the apocalypse yet, but I do wish for that to happen. So yeah, um, Rick Hines, one of the co-founders. <laughs> oh no, I totally wish for the apocalypse. Wait, that is. What ki- wait, wait. I need to pause. What kind of a co- the apocalypse are we talking here? Because like zombies just look. I am. Warfare? Yeah, no, I am prepped for just about every type of apocalypse except for nuclear fallout. Because quite frankly, I kind of like hair and I don't want my nails to fall out. But you give me zombie, magic apocalypses, any kind of supernatural stuff. I'm generally signing up on the list of being like, we can, we can engage in this. Okay. That is a, that's something I want to unwrap at another time, because I want to know how you're prepared for a magic apocalypse, but that is not why we're here. So continue. (laughs) Well, actually strangely relevant to being game writers of why I'm prepared for a magical apocalypse. Um, But uh, um, the, trust me, I have salt ready in case vampires show up at my door. Okay. Um, and, uh, so anyway, yeah. next to the door. um, I am one of the co-founders of, uh, Storytellers Forge along with, uh, some other very fine people. Uh, and we are the people who are making a badass campaign called the Black Ballad, which is the perfect campaign and story to run for your entire play group after everybody dies mm-hmm. but everybody's but everybody's dead so right Every, everybody's dead and we're gonna make people question all about morality and whether or not resurrection magic should even exist in this like beautiful metal inspired campaign tale and yeah, i just I'm, had a rocky horror flash of go cheat morals okay <laughs> <laughs> very cool pat edwards in the house, well, but maybe a different house. It's not as ready for an apocalypse. No, yeah. it would, that it would be a disaster here. <laughs> uh, I had that thing when people sort of romanticize or uh, fantasize about the apocalypse and how cool they'd be. Yeah. I wouldn't be that because I have tiny humans that I would. Have, you never, you know, you never see that, or you rarely see that, and it's in, in, and I feel like it's very much downplayed how hard that would be. To have children in one of those scenarios and try to do anything. That's why you don't see it because they don't survive. That's why. Okay. (laughs) So no, I am very unprepared for an apocalypse. Uh, We'd probably just be like, take me now. It's fine. (laughs) Well, Um, for as long as you remain on this uh, mortal coil without the apocalypse coming, who are you? What are you? How are you a part of this? Esoteric question. So deep. Uh, I am, in, in addition to co-founding Storytellers Forge with Rick, I'm a writer by trade, a novelist, you know, TTRPG designer. Rick and I co-authored The Red Opera together. That's how we both got started. Both of our first novels were actually published by the same publisher. That's how we became friends. Uh, I'm originally also from Chicago. I'm not there now, but where Rick is. 
And he came to my first book signing and we hit it off and just hung out most of the day and then became became good, good buddies after that. And that's how I ended up here talking to you. Very cool. It's always nice when you can become friends with your stalkers. Okay. And then we have... I invited that's him. That's how I heard it. Is that incorrect? No. I invited him. Okay. Okay. Well, that just got a whole He was invited. It was fine. But, yeah. but we're moving on to potentially the coolest dressed member of this particular foursome. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. I'm judging you. Ash! Ash! Tell us about yourself. Hi. Um, I'm Ash. Uh, for the Black Ballad and Storyteller, I do some art and I'll be doing some cosplay stuff as well. Um, but outside of the StoryForge, um, I do 3D modeling. So I make um, VTubers and character art for games and all sorts of, excuse me, all sorts of kind of things. Mm-hmm. Um, and <clears throat> we, uh, I met these lovely gentlemen through the same kind of, a similar kind of situation where we were all working kind of under the same person and when things got crazy, we all kind of found each other um, and came together to create something awesome. So, very Shared cool. Trauma. Shared trauma. They were in a group together. No, just kidding. No, I think that's <laughs> amazing when artists stick together, though, especially through not great situations. So, welcome, welcome everyone to the podcast. Um, it's traditional talk about what we're drinking. So, I'll go first. Um, in a cup that says, I pretend coffee helps, but I'm still a bitch. Um, that was given to me by a very nice friend. I, he loves me. Um, but I'm drinking a hot toddy because it is actually a little chilly up here. And I like to put whiskey, lemon, and honey together regularly and pretend like it's very warm up here. So that it's it's gigantic. If you were watching the YouTube, you see the size of this cup. It's like four cups. It's great. And I'm actually halfway done because we were laughing earlier. But Rick, what are you drinking? Well, that cup will make any cold that you possibly might have go away just simply by volume alone. And also, like, that alcohol in there will kill anything. I was going to so, say, it was about that much whiskey. And then, like... <laughs> so... I'm drinking uh, a drink that I've never really mixed for myself that much, a Brandy Alexander, uh, some Sacred Bond uh, brandy, and um, uh, creme de cacao. I don't even know how I pronounced that correctly, along with some whipping cream all mixed together. And it tastes like a milkshake. Yeah, it tastes like a milkshake, (laughs) and it is basically nothing but pure alcohol. Is it bringing on the boys to the yard? Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Okay, I'm drinking a pint, a pint of brandy and cream to cacao <laughs> with. Hey, it's a tradition on this show, Pat. We gotta. It's all Look, about the size. That's I, what happens. It's usually served in like a little coupe. It's like a little like it's like a rich decadent dessert. <laughs> yeah. Pat, it's Pat. An but not anymore. <laughs> it's been Pat. a day, Rick. It's, has it been a day? It's been a day, Pat. Pat, Ash, uh, Erica, everybody can understand this. We're in the middle of editorial. So, um, <laughs> ergo, dev editing time. Okay. I do have to ask about your brandy real quick before we go on to what Pat is drinking. Um, why does it have flags on it right now? What is, okay. what is, what is the tags? Don't you take those off when you... um? You know? No, no. These are recipe tags for various cocktails that you could throw because I'm a lazy bartender and my 
my uh my mom decided that uh when she was going to gift me bottles of alcohol she would throw on various cocktail recipes to try everything from like these weird peanut butter cocktails to like this like lemon brandy stuff it so they're all I recipe tags um and so i'm actually going to save the recipe tags um yeah. from this christmas gift and i'm going to hang them up on like my shelf and it's like sweet i got like a little bar menu ready to go i love that like that's a great way to level up a gift of boost or something because that's a standard gift people buy each other bottles of like right. nice bourbon or something for christmas and it's like i love that print out a recipe tag and put it on so there. here's the other thing that's really nice about it when this bottle gets really low i know that if i really like this tag of drink i need to go buy more of this what is good about that is for those um, weird uh, different um, alcohols, it's really easy to buy somebody like a bottle of tequila or a bottle of vodka or something like a default, like a, but, but to buy something that maybe people don't exactly know what to do with it all the time, but you've had it somewhere. That's a brilliant idea. Okay. Fine. I, I, I just solved Christmas for right. everyone. Uh, I got uh, <laughs> this uh, bottle of St. Germain's elderflower um liqueur and it love is it. like oh, this huge but n- knowing what it goes in or what to make with it it's got not you. a commonly organized i got you thing this is a very so, light effervescent cocktail rick i got you right now especially if you're having um italian food that's like a like a like a like a white italian food without a red sauce you know like a non-red sauce italian food <laughs> it's called a hugo it's prosecco your saint germain and those are the two main ingredients. And then some people garnish it with like an orange slice or um, that's the most common I've seen, like an orange rind or an orange slice. I actually have like these candied orange peels I yeah, use. Yeah, but you're going the into the, the champagne realm, which not everybody makes it through that realm safely or appropriately, myself <laughs> included. I can go through the whiskey realm and the scotch realm, scotch, 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 perfectly fine, come out the other side. Prosecco realm, I get lost for days and don't come out in any good shape whatsoever. The, the, the fairies of the wilderness claim you got it. Yeah, oh, then okay. my house would be a dangerous place for you to visit. Erica, I always have tons of like those you know, mini bottles of Prosecco on hand because I make uh, these like flavored martinis for my wife. She really likes. And my little twist is I always do a topper of Prosecco, like a little to make it a sparkling martini. You villain, you. You villain. Okay, <laughs> Pat. What are you drinking? I am drinking, I don't know if it's an official name. I guess you would call it a Mezcal Paloma because it's Mezcal and a little grapefruit juice, a little lime juice, and garnished with a slice, a jalapeno slice. And it's delicious, quite delightful. Very Smoky, nice. spicy, tart. Did, right. you put a, did you put a Prosecco layer I didn't on, on this. No, that I don't think that would be tasty no, that would t- I, i'm gonna tell you the worst champagne drink i've ever had in my life in a moment but first ash what are you drinking uh i'm drinking the a wildflower sweet by golden coast mead it's a san diego based company very and cool. handmaker mead. yeah i love mead we, oh, we all have a shared love of mead See, mead doesn't, the fairies of mead don't take me and try to destroy my entire being. Um, There is this particular type of mead that I've been trying to hunt down, but it was this incredibly thick blueberry honey mead, and I can never find it. I had it at a bar, small shot glass once called Hop Leaf up here in Chicago. They no longer carry it. It must have been like some custom brew, but if anybody out there finds blueberry honey mead, 
let me know. I have been like trying to hunt that stuff down for uh, ages now. Challenge accepted. Okay. So (laughs) worst champagne experience involved New Orleans or Nolens. And um, we went to an um, absinthe uh, bar. And so um, the females in the group, not I, decided, oh my God, let's find the mixed drink that's on the menu. And it was um, champagne and absinthe. By the way, this is basically, um, hi, person in the background there. Um, That's my husband. My husband in the background there. It's um, basically moldy ass, in case you're wondering what the flavor and taste palette is of that combination is literally yeah. the worst thing in the entire universe. Those mm-hmm. drinks were $25 a piece. So oh. me, since they didn't drink them, me and one other person in our party were like, fuck, this was 50 bucks. Chug. Like they can do that because then you try to convince yourself you actually like it because you paid so much money for it. Oh, I didn't mm-hmm. convince myself. I'm like, just get through it. Just get through it. It's $25. Keep going. Keep going. It was terrible. Okay. Gonna do Let's- Let's talk about the Black Ballad. Dun, dun, dun. What's that? I have no idea. I literally had a cue card that said, let's talk about the Black Ballad. It's like Jimmy Fallon. I just, I don't know who's sitting next to me most of the time. I um, do not uh, drink and know things. No, the Black Ballad is releasing here. So let's, let's talk. Rick, start, start. All right. So, uh, you know, Obviously, people who might listen to this, if you like to game, uh, you know, run Dungeons and Dragons, Storytell, even White Wolf or other systems, Pathfinder, um, the Black Ballad is conceived as this epic quest, um, you know, about 10 chapters long, uh, 15, about a year and a half of gameplay when you get down to it. But this epic quest that answers the very simple question of you died, now what? People after your party, whether they're old characters that you're reassembling and revitalizing them back to like hey we're going to play after their afterlife or they recently had a tpk everybody descends to this place called the sunless crossing and very quickly throughout this epic tale they're going to find themselves embroiled in the strings of maybe a good guy maybe a bad person we'll find out based on player choices on whether or not resurrection magic should even be allowed to exist in the fantasy realm. Because if you think about it in so many of these uh, worlds and settings for a hundred gold piece diamond, you can just bring somebody back from the dead, no matter if they've been dead for a hundred years. Well, if you're a tyrant or an evil like warlord, what really is stopping you? There's no consequences to your actions. And so we're kind of putting that moral choice in the hands of the players, but it's also a badass cleric adventure that is focused around the deities and the gods and where their power comes from. Even cooler though. And what makes it even more special is we've partnered with Diamorte, um, Mike Pittman from riot games and uh, uh, Michael Romeo from symphony X to compose a awesome metal soundtrack that goes along with it. So when you're storytelling, you have like wicked music that goes with it. And we're all, I've been writing for game companies for years. I did a bunch of geek and sundry stuff. I've been writing, I've written for, oh geez, I've ran and played just about every system that's out there professionally in some capacity and written for a lot of other companies. When we're an independent company that wants to tell a campaign that can plug into anybody's home or world, we can kind of create 
a universe that it doesn't matter. We don't have to follow the same narrative linear paths that you find from the other adventures. You actually can have player agency, multiple choice endings, and um, you know we can deviate a little bit and do some really cool things. Very cool. Um, and this is probably, I'm going to direct this at Pat, because I know me and you are could talk for hours. But Pat, you guys, first of all, you guys created StoryForge, which you we're launching Black Ballad right now. That's what we're talking about. But StoryForge has a larger concept. Do you want to talk a little bit to that? Yeah. So uh, the crowdfunding scene is huge these days, right? There are... Uh, just many, many, many groups, many individuals, many creators out there trying to um, make it happen that way. It's, you know, I think Kickstarter has at this point raised almost $8 billion or eight it's something obscene in their time existing. And we, so Rick and I, you know, you have a lot of people that can maybe write or create or want to create, and then they have no idea how to get something out in the world. Or they don't have the budget to pay an artist. They just have no idea what to do next. You know, I've created this thing. I think I have something in some interesting content here. Now, what do I do? It's kind of, you know, Rick and I were in a similar boat some years back. And we had written what we thought was a pretty great adventure in manuscript. And um, and then we had partnered with, we, we found somebody we thought we could, you know, trust to be a good partner with us and help get it out in the world as far as provide art and layout and printing. And it seemed to be going great and then it wasn't great. And we'll maybe talk more about that later, but really the some part of the fallout from that was, was wouldn't it be cool if we just, a had a place for ourselves, you know, that we were just making, that we could put our own projects through if we were to, to build our own, our own thing, our own platform, but also have something available to other people, other creatives who don't have resources, who don't have already have a following, but who are generally like good people with good ideas and good, have, you know, have talent and they want to put cool things in the world. And it's kind of a, here, come to us. We're going to partner with you. You own your thing. You, we, we're not going to take that ownership. That is yours. No matter what, at the end of the day, you know, if you don't like something, you can walk away and go home. You, you retain ownership, but we're going to help you. We're going to give you everything you need. We're going to provide you the infrastructure ready to go to actually realize your project, make it, a thing in the world, whether, and, and that could vary from people to people. Some people might come already with art done because they, they are an artist or they have an artist friend, or they could come to say, I literally have nothing but a manuscript or I have nothing but an idea, which of course would be like, write the manuscript first, then, <laughs> then come talk to us. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think, I think lots of people um, want to be writers or they want to have, I've heard a great quote about that. Uh, everybody that says, they, you know, that wants to be a writer, everyone wants to have written something. We'll say is a is a better way to say yes. it, but you actually have That's to do true. it. That being said, we wanted to create a thing where we could help other people, help other people who were in position that we were in not too long ago of needing that leg up, needing that help and giving them like, what do you need? You know, do you, do we need to build the crowdfunding page for you? Do you need art? Do you need a printer distribution? We'll provide what you need. Make sure that of course we are, comp you know, come to an arrangement, but the key, key thing is we are not going to try and take ownership of your IP. That is yours because it's your idea. It's your intellectual property. You should keep it. And I think that's one of the amazing key things about, um, storytellers forge is that, uh, 
we talk about it a lot on this show, like why people end up self-publishing or people's publishing journeys. And some are great with publishers and some are great self-publishing, but there is a wide berth in between that gets screwed because they don't understand what they're giving up. They don't understand how the mechanism works. And then there are unethical people in this trade that unfortunately take advantage of the lack of knowledge or understanding, especially when it comes to gaming world. Cause you, you have that all the time where people maybe have great universes that they've created that people go, oh my gosh, I want to run a game in this world. And then they end up giving it up or they create a game and it gets taken from them. We can go all the way back to Dungeons and Dragons if we want to unearth that bad boy. But <laughs> Yeah. Well, I mean, this this ties in exactly to like some of the stuff that we're we're doing, and even I'm going to be able to pass this to Ash here in a quick second as like somebody who's doing a a complete side thing. One of our designs at Storytellers Forge is to also bring novels um, back into uh, sort of like the gaming sphere and other books and supplementary things. And so we have the setting of the Black Ballad, for example, this beautiful Southern Crossing, all this great artwork, this you know massive tome book. But we're also going to have novels that tie into it that are independent stories and little things that are added to it. Now, you know, a, a good example of this is um, uh, Ash is, you know, doing the illustrations for something called Ashland's Adventure Journal that kind of tells this little prequel up to the moment where one of the characters in the Black Badlet loses her journal. And but the rest of the character adventure journal is something that, you know, Ash and Courtney Penny are putting together and doing. And for them, that's their side project that they're allowed to work in tandem with us and have that part like officially tied in, like we make it like lore appropriate and it's going to be freaking beautiful. Um but it's Ash and Courtney's. Which is awesome. Ash, join in now. Please talk about that part of it. Because you have many hats and things you do. So what drew you into this collective? As um, if a collective being in a good term and not a bad term in that thing. Depends on what universe. I'm just, there's a lot of whiskey in this. Continue on, please. Oh, no worries. <laughs> I'm already starting to feel the alcohol kick the in. Meat. So I'm, I'm catching up. <laughs> um, I also wanted to quick note that it was a complete coincidence that Ashland and Ash was uh, what came to be. But I, it's a cute little nod for the fact that I'm going to be drawing some of the illustrations. But complete coincidence. And and I will um, never mess it up if you ever cosplay Ashlyn. I'm just going to easily be able to keep that in there. I think we should yeah. just change it up and say that was a thousand percent on purpose. As okay, not the epic people in this adventure. There you go. I did an adventure tone there. I don't know if you guys caught that. Continue, Ash. It was very nice. Very nice. <laughs> Um, but yeah, we're, so the journal is, like he said, a kind of a, a side project that ties in, in a really cool way. Um, it's something that kind of calls out to people kind of like me who love the, the deep lore of things, you know, you get into a story or a game or a show and you you see like one thing in, in one scene, like three minutes and two seconds in, and you're like, that's something that's going to come back. And then suddenly you're hooked. And then like, you have this whole love of the behind the scenes lore. How did we get here? All that, like you, you get invested in the world and you want more. And a lot of the time um, you don't really get that uh, unless the company or whatever 
thought about it and put work into the marketing for, you know, in-game kind of props and things like that. But most of the time, it's not really the case. So it's really cool to be a part of a project that tells these really cool stories of Ashlyn's life before she passed and then when she gets into the world and what's it's like or blah, 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 what it's like in between that, like before and after. And um, Courtney's the one doing all of the writing for that. And I'll be, I'm just kind of bringing those stories to life, like the, the creativity, the imagination, all of that is Courtney and I have the honor of, you know, making sketches that look like something that Ashlyn would have just kind of scribbled on a page as she was experiencing these things, like a diary. Yeah, and I'm going pu to push back on that slightly because I've listened to you and Courtney uh, behind me on Zoom calls and whatnot. You two are absolutely brainstorming of like, oh, what about this? And like, like, let's do this part. And, you know, even... Uh, this is the fun part about working with a collective of like different people with different backgrounds. You had the idea of like, wait, Rick, can we possibly work the adventure journal with some method into a puzzle later on in the rest of the book yeah. that it has a secret answer? Um, and so for, I think that's, this is the only time I'm going to mention that in public. So only people that have listened to this podcast will find out that the adventure journal mm -hmm. has possibly Ooh. secret little A things. <laughs> well, Exclusive. I that's how I'm going to advertise this podcast, by the way, is if you want to know the secret code, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Exclusive information. <laughs> I, I think what Rick said is very true, though, Ash, is that it is, even when you're bringing to life somebody's vision, it is completely a creative process because as a writer myself, I don't do the drawings. Um, I'm not good at it. You can ask the guy who's doing construction work with me when I was like, this is my bathroom. And he's like, that looks like a giant globe of salad. And I'm like, but it is the bathroom and my bathroom's not round. So that's, that's what happened there. But um, I think it's, it's amazing. And just, I know we talked too, because you guys are going to have adventure journals for all the classes, right? And then on top of that, you are having novelizations and the ability for people, if they want to say, hey, I want to write a novel in this world, maybe about a character they had brought from another game mm -hmm. into this, they have the ability to do that as well, which to me hasn't been really seen in a long, long time. No, uh, so all of all of all of the official when you look at so the game companies that really did novelization tie-ins right are tsr white wolf and aeg aeg did it with legend of the five rings they had ray sospi you know pen a series of novels around each of the clans uh tsr everybody knows they you know yeah the the drizzit series already salvatore um back when you know, it was cool spellbound the like there was there was the ed greenwood there was a bunch of them and white wolf had their clan novels um that were each tied to each of the clans but all of these all three of them were really publishing these during the 90s and early aughts um as the game companies shifted away from that you know, other game companies really aren't doing that as often but none of them have ever allowed people who really wanted to be authors or really had a awesome idea to just have an open submission form of pitch us your idea um and we'll dev at it with you we'll work with you to make it go and because of four horsemen publishing we're able to get you actually through 
you know, the chain, you know, yes, it's going to be a fully published novel. It's not, you know, some self-published or, you know, it's a self-published novel that goes out there. There's all the rounds of editing and the full process, um, but we get to make them canon and they're still that person's story because I think, Ash, it was you who pitched the idea of the adventure journal to me. Yeah. <laughs> um, so when you said, that idea a little bit. <laughs> um, so when you were like, oh, uh, you know, you know, I'm an artist, I can't really write, but I really like, you know, like these these add-ons that make something real. Um, and you know, like, well, I can do I, I like journals and arts and sketches. And I was like, wait a minute, we can do a thing with it. We can have this like in-game thing. And then on the flip side, we have a writer in-house named Crystal Graber, who's writing a novel called Duskwalker, which is actually the lore over the very first Unhallowed, which is one of our unique uh, uh, species inside the, uh, uh, the, the Black Ballad setting. But it's not even related to the actual campaign and the story that we're telling, it's about the very first unhallowed that ever kind of came to be way back in the foundation of the sunless crossing. So there's a lot of room that you can tell a story and some of them are valuable for player agency. And some of them are just really cool stories that are told in different mediums. I mean, the band. So if we look at it this way, the campaign we do is centered around player agency because players have to be able to make a choice at the table. And so we've given players all of the tools and multiple endings and all of the things for this epic quest. But the band even has an album, The Black Ballad by Dia Morte. And their story in their album is about these two people who hate each other so much that they're dragging the mortal world down into the afterlife through violence and brutality. Now in the campaign, the players are dealing with the consequences of that action and also like going around with it. They get to like, you know, they get to maybe, you know, tackle these people in a field and drag them before a God and be like, judge them or they could ally with them. There's all kinds of choices that can happen, but the story that the band is telling is canon and true and it's unique in their lyrical version but it's just about the two characters and their hatred for one another and wow. then ashland's adventure journal is about the monarch um the sovereign as they were in the black ballad um who's kind of the current ruler of how she died because an interesting thing about our rulers in sunless crossing you're only allowed to rule in Nox Valar for the amount of time that you would have lived. So if your life gets cut short, you're, you know that your reign is only going to last for this long. And no other god or deity could lay claim to you in the afterlife. So it's a very small uh, pool of candidates that are possible in a world of magic and whatnot. But also... Every civilian, every citizen, and they try to keep it secret. How long is this person going to be around? You know, you can imagine that somebody who has an elf might live for thousands of years. They might become a very stale sovereign. Ashlyn does not have that time. And how did she end up here? Um, so 
there's a lot of stories that we could tell and that's just comes from being storytellers. Pat is like a wellspring of ideas because like we'll shift the camera lens all over the place and Pat would be like, wait, wait, I want to run an idea about purgatory poker. I got I want to run a one shot about purgatory poker. I'm like, Pat, that's not even in the campaign. He's like, no, purgatory poker is awesome. I want to run a one shot about players getting mugged in an alley. Um, and, but that's the fun part about creation with a lot of other people. You get to have fun ideas. I, I love that. First of all, you broke like the fourth, fifth, and sixth wall and everything you just said there. And I couldn't say it when you were doing it, but I was like, do we have a band that's doing a thing and a thing that's doing a thing? <laughs> but I want to ask Pat, because Pat, you're a writer, but one thing Rick just said that I thought was um, something that's near and dear to, I think, a lot of our hearts, because I was a gamer. I was a gamer back when we colored in the dice in Dungeons and Dragons, you know, from the box set, nerd. But um, he said the word canon. And one of the things that you guys are operating off of is not the destruction of canon because there are way too many companies that are doing that. Like they put out all this stuff and then they go, just kidding. None of that's relevant. Here's the thing. So talk to that for a moment. As far as like establishing in our world, what is canon, what is canon, what is not. Yeah, and allowing people to create canon within the world because they're in putting their journals their creations their things their novelizations into this world and it becomes part of it i think a lot of it has to do with us being willing and to to not be too precious with it and be really selective with bits of lore or world building that become ironclad and kind of always i always like to say you know can you explain why right it's got to be more than just because Rick and I just can't be sitting back saying because we want it. And that's, that's why that's, can- <laughs> that's why this is an immovable piece of Canon. We need, it, it would help if we, we need to have a reason why. And um, it, Rick was talking about this, this gaming system called purgatory poker. It's like a card, a gambling system in the world. And the reason part of why that's like so essential is because like money, traditional money, what's that worth? In, in an afterlife or a pseudo afterlife it's not worth much so you know time is the currency there's so many souls in in this plane that you have to wait for everything so like your place in line is your currency and you get these these coins that are representative of it and you can gamble those to might move up in line and, and there's a line for everything it doesn't matter who you want to see if you want to see any kind of dignitary in the city um there's a line of, of quote unquote like a virtual line for all of it you have to get your place get your coin that puts you at the back of the line and either wait as your place moves up or kind of like gamble or barter your way up through the line so it it, so basically what started is maybe just it's not just a it's not just a frivolous thing right to have this gambling game in there it is essential to the the economy and the daily life because when time is the currency how do you how do you uh get rich no that's time. true uh that and i just love this name purgatory poker it just sounds like a game i want to play and i basically want to build a character completely around being um playing poker that's oh yeah we have a entire, we, we have an entire location called the house of the dawn um that uh was written by one of our contributors uh you know, Crystal Mauser, she's like the lead designer of like PIP systems and other places. And um, like, like, that's a thing, like we have this campaign book and unfortunately we run into the problem of 
there's only enough space in the book and <laughs> we already have other ideas of like oh we want to expand upon this in other ways but you know to one question i can say one thing that i don't think ever gets enough credit in the tabletop rpg industry um how do you keep things canon and what makes them special is editors I think editors and layout artists are frankly the unsung heroes of the TTRPG industry, even if, you know, like they just never get credit. The books look pretty because layout artists and we have a layout artist that we've chosen who completely just Florida is named Nikki Tantillo, um, who like just came out of left field, right? And with a completely different style of art and PDF manipulation, never had been like in the TTRPG industry, um, but was just awesome. And then editors, we found that it's almost better to have a few writers, but a team of editors. And so we have like Jeff Mueller, Ray Jenkins, and, um, you know, Courtney Penny, who heads up the editorial team. And as developmental editors, they get to review every document. They're Pat and I, as writers who are drafting, sometimes have many, many debates about editorial cuts um, or editorial suggestions or changes. Um, but the truth is, is that when you take somebody who's going to write a novel, um, we have dev editors. And so that first pass of dev editing is done by our studio for the people who are assigned to the project. And after we do Black Ballad, if you know it's successful, we're going to have Modern Gods, Dark Carnival, and The Seventh Age. And there's going to be editorial staff on those. So people who are writing elder elements that are tangential, those developmental editors still work with them on those projects. Um, and that's... It is important. Oh, got back. We'll say with editors, we'll just, and not just editors who are going to. And if you're going to be a writer and really want to get good at your craft, you need to be willing to work with editors that are going to challenge you, that are going to, like I just said, call you know, kind of make you defend your stance on things. And it doesn't mean you have to um, accept every change, agree with every change, or reject every change. It, but it's it's something where you need to be comfortable with getting that being challenged on certain things and because uh, there's going to be times where you're going to maybe dig your heel in and say, I understand, you know, I hear where you're coming from. This but is no. where, you know, this, this is why, <laughs> but no, but you know, like I get, I understand where you're coming from, but no, this is the way, you know, this, this stays or it's going to stay the way it is. And here's why I think that way. And at the end of the day, you know, um, or also you, you might see, you know what, that's a, really good point you brought up editor i i didn't think of that and i agree that's a that's that's a better way to approach this passage or a better way to word it or this probably should be cut entirely so and you know it's a it's a it's a dance it's just you got to find that happy medium of communication and um using you know a combination of your head and your gut <laughs> deciding <laughs> when to trust one over the other and I can't tell you, listener, when to know. Like you just, you just gotta. You you said it earlier. Is you said that you know when we're talking about the canon that you're not 
none of this is your guys's preciouses, right? And that's the thing too, is you guys, and I love that you said that because I think a lot of people don't realize when you, when a book is published, right? Especially by a publishing house or even in an independent author, we talk on the show and you hear, I had somebody that did the cover. I had somebody that did the, um, you know, the back blurb. I had somebody that, and I'm just talking about novelizations, but you guys are talking in all of these things, there are stories that are being told and there are formulaic ways to tell stories in a way, right? And it's not saying it's different, but there's beats a story has to have and how it flows and how you bring people into the worlds and how you get them engaged. And you have the journal and how do people become interested or give a shit about Ashland's character, right? Because if you don't do it well, nobody's gonna care about that, right? They're just not. But it is a team of people that create these things and present them to you in a way, because I know I I write all the time. I'm a writer. But guess what? I am not a cover artist. I am not a typesetter. And one thing I'm thoroughly not is an editor. Like as much as I would love to think I can sit and edit, I am terrible at it. I have. I have no ability to edit in any capacity because I am such an optimist and an enthusiastic person. I sit there and I'm like, every idea is great. (laughs) And it does not work out that way. Um, You know, and, and when you look at this whole team um, are, we have an art director named James Mazingo, right? So Ashlyn is doing, uh, or sorry, Ash, not Ashlyn. I've already done it. I've already, I've already committed the crime. Uh, <laughs> it's beginning. <laughs> it's beginning. Um, so Ash is doing artwork for the Adventure Journal and other elements, right? And so, like, Ash, your art style, like, your sketch, you did a knoll that's just, like, badass. I draw fucking stick figures. Like, literally doodles. I put my first batch of art orders in, and some of the art that we got back was exactly what my art order is. And our art director, James, came back to me and was like, Rick, um, so your art orders, you're a writer. You need to, like, distill this down, because if you (laughs) give the artist this much, they're going to invent that much. Um, And, but... Um, you know, James being the art director uh, was like, oh, sweet. So we're going to do an adventure journal. Awesome. Um, I want to like edit, you know, Ashlyn or screw, just, just, just kill me now. I've called you Ashlyn now twice. Wow. I'll just accept it as another name. It's fine. Um, <laughs> I so, love the fact that Brandy Alexander is doing so well for memory for you. Let's all have another sip, shall we? <laughs> oh yes, here. Let me. Let me just. We <laughs> drink every time Rick calls you Ashley. Okay, that's the third time. Rick, if you do it a third time, you have to cover all the expenses for Ash's eventual Ashland cosplay, including oh. a giant mace. Okay, so we already are, but <laughs> no, um, uh, so you know. Anyway, Ashes. Um, oh, you know, our like even Ash is going to have artwork you know edited through the official channels like right and that's the idea of like everything gets better and forged through the fire of like a bit of like critique and feedback um because like ash was like here's this awesome knoll like smash anything and i was like that is awesome and james was like i would add these like like six elements here boom, 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 boom. it's like okay cool he was like do you mind and James is like politely asking me, like, do you do you, do you mind if I, you know, have 
you know, Ash send the artwork to me so I could like help her, um, like go to like this part. And I was like, yeah, you're the art director of the project. That's what you do. That's the job. Like, <laughs> he was like, oh, okay, cool. She's like, she won't mind. Like, no, because Ash, um, when we talk about story and creation, um, something that we don't talk about that much is art creation. And there was an artist named Lynn Romanoff who did the actual character art for Ashlyn. And because you are going to be cosplaying Ashlyn, um, I had, or James, it was actually James's idea to have you talk with the artist designing the costume based off this character that Courtney had written um, to put all those pieces together. So like, you know, you guys turned in this like awesome picture and like at first glance, everybody was like, wait, why does Ashley have this massive freaking mace? Like, I mean, seriously, if you guys ever see artwork listeners, um, they're, it's all over our promo. Ashlyn has like a mace that could seriously bonk anybody into the next world. And, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, talk about like that because you were, you were actually editing from a cosplay perspective one of the artists who was designing one of the main characters yeah and um if you want is is it cool to show kind of like um like oh absolutely just yes yes please that's that's Um, all part of this yeah so uh yeah absolutely that was something that i was super ecstatic for because um it's not every day that a illustrator is also a cosplayer or vice versa it does cross in the community, but it's not something that happens every time. And so it's really important that if, as a company, especially if you really are putting your effort into making it something that people can really get into long-term, you wanna make sure it's something that they can reproduce themselves. Um, And so uh, if I'm gonna be cosplaying Ashlyn, like you mentioned, um, it's super important to be able to look at that kind of stuff and be like, okay, what? what is great here, what's something I can make in real life, and what's something that is kind of too fantasy, like it's a bit too unrealistic of a clothing item to bring to the real world. And um, I do have a concept piece on my iPad here. I don't know how well we're going to see with this, but um, this is one of the drafts that I had sent the... uh, Oh, we're too close, too close. Back up. Whoa! Whoa. (laughs) Here, hold on. That, that was a Star right Wars there. droid there. sound right there. Yeah. <laughs> you guys! Whoa! <laughs> um, I just started to raise my hand to block the glare from Ash's <laughs> side of the camera. Like, I'll zoom it in for the parts I talk about so you can see the little guys here just so the glare yeah, isn't too no, bad. Absolutely. Okay. No, no, it's good. It's good. It's good. It's just my <laughs> Um, so this is the art piece. This is when we were still in the process of getting it finalized and the pieces that are highlighted here in the different colors, um, I had painted over as well as James. James and I painted over the artwork of the person who had made the overall work here. And we went and went, okay, so this is how we sh- I sent this to the artist to show how I can make this outfit in real life, how it actually functions, even pieces that you don't even really get to see in the final drawing you if you as long as you understand how the clothing works and how it layers on top of each other and how functional it is 
it will register in the art, like people will see that in the art piece as well, especially cosplayers. And so I thought it was super, super cool that they wanted to take the time to think of that because it's not often, a lot of times being a cosplayer myself, I look at like, especially anime outfits and I'm just like, how the fuck? Like how on God's green earth do they expect people to wear this? <laughs> like, and I think you hit the nail on the head with that. I do cosplay too. I, I, I haven't since the Rona, unfortunately, but yeah. I love to cosplay. I have friends. We usually cosplay as collective costumes. And it's so interesting you say that because a lot of times we'll approach something and go, yeah, there's no effing way. Like even all yeah. the videos, all the whatever in the world we go, you know, I get how they kind of did this for a very short period of time, but people have to think with when you're cosplaying, you have that outfit generally on for four, six, eight hours at a time. So it's different when you're talking TV and it's on the person for a moment in time or a shot or whatever, versus I'm walking around potentially outside, inside weather, inclement conditions yeah. in this attire. And I love that somebody put the fourth thought because I hate that when I see a cool costume and then I get down to the brass tacks of how the hell I would build it. And I go, Nah, that's not happening. You know, even the greatest <laughs> cosplayers on the planet, you go, that's not happening. That's not going to, and it's not going to look the way you want it to look. Ergo, you can't be that character then. So you this, this one of matching uh, Ash with Lynn was entirely James when I had proposed. I was like, oh yeah, this is that character. So it was our art director who wanted to match these two together. Here's something funny. I am, you know, the person who's putting... Like I, I'm like the de facto project manager of trying to assemble all these parts, but there are certain groups and people and teams and trust that I don't necessarily have everything. I have one, never seen that, that oh. Ash just showed. That is my first time seeing it. I didn't even know that Ashlyn had bracelets um, in <laughs> like, cause you can't see them in the final artwork. Um, but uh, that's now a magical item that I'm going to tell Pat to go right. Um, I'll send this uh, to you. Oh, <laughs> Um, so one, that's funny. Um, and two, uh, Lynn, even We're the artist, educational podcast here, right? Uh, <laughs> even even the artist Lynn uh, Romanoff actually gave feedback that working with a cosplayer um, like Ash was a, a fantastic experience because it helped even her as an artist know here are some elements for some fantasy clothing and some like cleric armor that you know might not have been designed in that way so you know that. yeah um so it actually worked really well but that's where that's where different people on a team can do different things uh pat and i have uh long attributed that our strength is a white piece of paper but making <laughs> that white piece of paper turn into like the trailer that we have like that is a different, you know, skill set and story. Well, I think the one thing too that you you both have said, which I think is so important, is um, you know, I I talk people on this podcast who listen with any regularity um know that I also am the CEO of Four Horsemen Publications. I created that on the premise that 
I don't know how to do it all. I never profess that I know how to do it all, but I know how to find the people that do and then let them get on with it. Like one of my favorite things, even when I was in the corporate world is you don't hire, you know, smart people to tell them what to do. You hire them to tell you what to do. Right. Mm -hmm. And so you find people who know what they're doing, know what they're talking about and everything. And then you get them together. Right. Um, Otherwise, um, you know, you end up with people being unable to be their creative selves fully because they're being told how to be their creative selves. Yeah. You know, absolutely. And so I think that makes a huge difference. Um, We're going to change this podcast up a little bit. We're not breaking because I'm enjoying talking to you guys. So we're going to keep going. Although Pat's probably like, I got to pee. Why aren't they doing a break? Right. <laughs> come on. Let's. I'm, I'm we're okay. drinking. I mean, I got, yeah. Look, I, 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 there, there are other drinker. things that goes in this. I can't just pour straight brandy in here, okay? Do we need a break so that you can refresh I'm, your drink, Rick? I'm good. Rick, if you need to go, do you need to go? We can keep yes. it going. <laughs> okay, fine. We'll take a quick break. We'll talk amongst ourselves. A child who had to have a fancy drink, and we'll be right back with Drinking with Author. <laughs> Our sponsor today on Drinking with Authors is Skunk Brothers Spirits. Skunk Brothers Spirits was started by a family of disabled veterans focused on locally sourced quality distilled spirits. Their name was inspired by their pops, who was nicknamed Skunk. Skunk's father was a moonshiner in Oregon back when it wasn't exactly legal. Now the brothers are taking the family business legal with their Washington-based team using their grandfather's Prohibition-era moonshine recipe to bring small batch spirits to the gorge and beyond. From the moonshine corn whiskey to the apple pie brandy, all of their spirits are handmade in Washington. Believing they already have the best ingredients in the local community, they work with local farmers and suppliers to produce the highest quality spirits from scratch. You can find them on Facebook at Skunk Brothers and on Twitter at Skunk Bros Inc. Or visit their site www.skunkbrothersspirits.com and use coupon code DWA10 at checkout to read 10% off your order. You can always also ask your local retailer to start stocking Skunk Brothers Spirits. Regardless of how you get your hands on a bottle or two, grab a drink and don't forget to get skunk. So Rick has his drink. It took like three hours, but we're back. It's oh fine. Oh my God, Rick. Are you okay? <laughs> I, I am. I Do we need I've to sw- call someone. No, okay? I've swapped. Ba- I, I now have Bailey's in this. All right. So. Oh my God. Oh. You're, you're a monster. <laughs> it, 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 it's, now a, it's now a chocolate milkshake. All right. Oh my God. Wow. It's actually ridiculously tasty. So this that, is a new thing. If things you're wondering, that's how all of us go down <laughs> under the table. Are, you know, I had somebody say, say to me the other day, they're like, I like this drink, but I can still taste the alcohol. And I'm like, so you're not planning on walking later because I <laughs> can't taste the alcohol. <laughs> but I feel tasting the alcohol gives us that little sense of, hi, yeah. you broke a Or walk. find an alcohol that you like the taste of. There's so many out there. There are so many. Okay, let's talk about gaming because, you know, Rick touched on it earlier. I touched on it a little. Everybody's touched it a little bit and it's not weird. Um, but <laughs> everybody on this call is a gamer. 
right? So start it. So let's let's begin with Pat, who looks super excited and has that epic oh, cup uh, behind him. His love of gaming. Where did that start, my friend? And we're talking specifically TTRPG. I don't care where you started your podcast. So, <laughs> I, I, you I want mean, me to micromanage you about this? I can't. Yes, so, do. Please do, Erica. Please, please. Can I... I, I the, the teleprompter that you sent us has malfunctioned the program. So oh, I, I don't know what my next line is. I write all the lines. jokes on this show. Right. No, <laughs> so we'll we'll start with TTRG specifically. But what's funny is I feel like I have a little bit of a different route to that, to, to, to my love of that and my experience than a lot of people in this industry. I, th- I feel like the majority or most, at least people I interact with or talk or hear on podcasts and other shows, the story is, oh, I'm playing you know, D or an RPG since I was a kid, I found my dad's or a parents or someone's old books and, or I had the books growing up, you know, depending on, you know, age and have been doing it. I wasn't, I don't think I played D and D for the first time until I was in my twenties. And it's something that I was aware of and interested in, but never really had the opportunity to play. Um, I grew up in kind of a prototypical, um, more like jockey setting. I play, played sports. I, I lo- like sports, but also I, I was always like that nerd who was good at sports, and I didn't right. fit so in with a lot of my teammates. Pat, Pat is one of the few people I've ever met next to Drake who's actually taller than me and huge. Like you can't see if you're watching on YouTube or if you're listening, you have no from a reference. But Pat is massive. Okay, you know, it's not always about size, Rick. We covered that earlier <laughs> in this podcast. So, you know, I know Making you're proud, but let Pat tell his tale. We're Look, no, I was, I was a stalker for it. a I'll reason, all right? I'll um, take it. I'll take it. I'll take it. So it's, it's one of those man. things. Yeah, I will, I will take that, please. I'm, I'm an artist, which means I'm very insecure. Shower me with this. I need, yeah. please. Thank you. I'll take your flattery. Um, but... So it's something where I always just felt a little bit different. And I had friends, you know, on the teams. And, I, you know, I had friends in that circle. But I just always felt a little more, um, it's like, I like these these kind of nerdy things, too. I've got, a, you know, I like comic books. And I like playing games. And D&D especially is, is something you can't kind of really do on your own, right? It's, it's by definition, is collaborative improv storytelling. So it was something that um, I never got an opportunity to as a, as a kid. And then what's funny is I actually had like this interest in figure in exploring it reignited through podcasting. They're, they're tied together for me. They're kind of one of one. Cause um, one of the, some of the first podcasts I ever started listening to were real plays were actual plays. It's like, this sounds fun as heck. This sounds like this was tailor made for me. Like I, this is, and I kind of, I like, I need to seek out and find this. I, w- I must find my people. So uh, and it kind of went hand in hand with me starting my writing career and getting published and then starting to do cons and connecting with other people. And then I remember like the first time I played was um, at a con and it was like, that this is, it's like that meme. I'm like I'm reaching over. This is now my whole personality. <laughs> like yeah. <laughs> I love that your first time playing was at a con because I feel like that's like level five playing a lot of times like not how i have friends that are going to introduce it we're going to go around sort of the room here and tell the story but i love that story what i also love is that now fast forward to children now 
are able to cross that barrier, I think a lot easier than the categories previously that existed. Like it's, I joke that it's cool to be a nerd now. And I think oh, yeah. it is mm. not everywhere is the same. And, you know, there's still bullying and stuff that really shouldn't be happening, but at all. Um, but I feel like it's a lot easier because I go back a generation when I did my first game, which I'll go into after you guys tell your story. And people thought we were Satan worshipers. So, um, <laughs> yeah, Ash, you're up next, my friend. How did you oh. get into gaming? Um, well, with uh, I'll start with gaming in general first, because I didn't start in uh, D&D or TTRPG in the beginning either. Um, I was a huge nerd since I was a tiny little bean, though, because um, my dad was a classic nerd. And my parents had me when they were 40. And so they were classic nerds. And I watched like the original Star Trek. He read me the Hobbit Hobbit book to bed. Um, I was just enveloped in nerd culture at a very young age. And uh, one of the, as I started getting older and got access to the internet, um, I was already kind of in that world. I already was kind of acclimated to the nerd atmosphere. And um, I kind of transitioned from, uh, from old kind of classic cinematography and things like that to video games and the video game company that I fell head over heels for in middle school and up until even now is Valve and Valve is a huge reason why I am doing 90% of the stuff I do today it was my dream as a kid to do concept art and be a 3D artist for Valve, because I was obsessed with Left 4 Dead and Team Fortress 2 and all of that. My first cosplay was actually the Ratman from Portal 2. <laughs> and I carried around a companion cube with wings and I had a big beard. And, <laughs> um, and so I've been obsessed for a while. <laughs> but um, it was actually around college. Uh, I was in my My Little Pony phase and I was wearing a spike hoodie because I started my college in sophomore year of high school. I just went straight to college. Hold on. I, I have to interrupt Twilight Sparkle for life. Yeah, I, I, I absolutely respect that. I, you know, being a Spike fan, I kind of side towards Rarity because I'm biased, but All right. like, All right. Twilight Sparkle is a very close second. I we, love we, Spike, but the Twilight Vampires, I have a whole podcast on this on my Eerie Travels podcast are the strongest vampires that exist. Continue on. I'm going to so, go wake up my seven-year-old and ask who I like. Cause I, she actually is getting into that now. And like, who, who should I like? Who should I like, sweetie? You, you need, you need to be informed. <laughs> Pat, Pat, you're, you're, you're rainbow dash. All right. You're a rainbow dash fan. You don't know huh. it yet, but watch it. You're rainbow dash. I okay. I could see that. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was, uh, I started college in sophomore year of high school and um, I fell into a DD group. And um, I was really lucky about that because uh, these guys were very lax. I had no understanding of like the books or anything like that. We would literally just go into the library and just be like, okay, you have your characters. We have our characters. Like my character, for example, had a weird like Cockney accent and their God was Snoop Dogg. And so to resurrect me and survive, like make my character allowed to keep playing, they had to pray to Snoop Dogg to like convince them as to why I should survive and like continue fighting. 
And they're in the DM decided the thing that they were like, oh yeah, we I'll resurrect, I'll resurrect her was uh, I just hadn't smoked weed yet and I needed to experience it. So it's like, <laughs> I, I had a very unique experience with D&D, um, but that was kind of my Amazing. opening world with it. Um, right. And I actually started D DMing not long after that. I created my own species. I would create playlists. I got super deep into it. And so when these guys reached out to me and were like, we're making something that is kind of essentially a love letter to those kind of like, you know, your characters are your characters are gone, but you love them, right? You want to keep playing with them. You have a history with them. You have a story with them. And like, you don't want to throw all that away. And and you want to have fun with it, right? And that's what DNA is all about to me. And so this was just like instantly like, oh, I get to put my own word into this and we you get to make it in a way where like anyone can join in. I just think that's super cool and unique. But yeah. No, I agree. <laughs> Rick, what about you? Where's your where's your entrance into this realm? Oh man, uh, so um, I I guess I fall into what Pat and you know necessarily Ash both have said. I am the person who grew up in gaming. Um, uh, I like you uh, uh, did the Satanic Panic. Um, you know, even as a nine year old kid, my mom would work white zombie concerts. Uh, back in the day and you know i remember being in calumet city when a police officer would pull us over and you know my mom and i were in the car the cop would be like you know he's got a satanic book in the back seat we should uh i need you to step out of the vehicle like that is an actual thing in calumet city that happened when i was nine years old um but my actual like first chance storytelling was wraith the oblivion which is no surprise i write about dead things and um, so it really, for me, came from these game systems of White Wolf was my actual main entry. I didn't play D&D uh, &D first. Um, I played Vampire the Masquerade and Wraith the Oblivion. And the first game I ever ran was in Chess Club, where I had two players by candlelight. And I told a very creepy story. Um, and I was 14 years old and it was impromptu off the fly because I had these books and I read them and I loved them, but I didn't have anybody to play with. And so I had always been more on the storyteller side of the fence um, rather than the dungeon crawl side of the fence. And throughout the years, I went from uh, storytelling something like Wraith or Vampire the Masquerade to running massive 600-person live-action games um, in castles to running, you know, huge um, continual LARPs. Um, so I'm a big LARPer. I am that goth kid from the 90s that wore trench coats. You have to explain what LARPing is to people who are listening because they're going to be You're like, right. what? Oh, my God. You want me to explain LARPing? Okay. Oh, so I do. Here's, I do. I do. Here's, um, let's just say that behind me, off to the left of this camera or in my closet, there is a variety of trench coats and costumes. Before cosplay was even a term, we would dress as our characters and go to a very public river walk and all pretend to be these characters. But yet we weren't breaking a masquerade or a hidden veil even though we were all dressed in 
very clearly archaic clothing. And so I would run these games and I was very involved in a lot of player versus player, um, a lot of uh, storytelling in these live action games. And we got to the point um, where we started with 30 players and then we'd go to 70 players and then our stories would draw at 150. And the next thing you know, we're renting out hotels or castles and we're putting on special event games and Throughout all of this, I'm an electrician or a bartender or various other trades in life to actually pay bills. And I get to a point where I realize that these LARP games were taking every aspect of my life. And I decided to become a writer based off various elements of my experience of both my real life and my nightlife. Um, as far as video games, yeah, I grew up on Diablo. I mean, my author bio literally says I played so many countless hours of Diablo that it is like a caffeine-infused element. I was raised Southside Catholic um, in Chicago, which means nowadays I am perfectly prepared for the occult apocalypse. Um, and uh, Catholic school. Yep. Um, so uh, it, it turns us into completely different beings when we're older. Uh, and um, so that's why I'm ready. Um, you know, but I have a brain filled with useless occult knowledge unless a magical apocalypse happens because i decided i was like, i'm gonna go to college i'm gonna minor in theology i'm going to um take these like random like i can write latin i have no idea why i thought that was a good idea to take for eight years of my life but i but i did it um but no, if I, if, 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 wait, if wait, magic, I got a PCU one. You majored in an eight hundred year old dead language? No, just yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, uh, <laughs> so, uh, Thank you. Thank you. Technically minored, but you know, uh, you know, yes, it's a thing. And if spell casting ever is a real thing, I'm set. All right, well, I am I like you can help me do the exorcisms from Supernatural. So there's oh, a. You? There's a, it's there's, all it's all um yeah. I said somebody I said you know if supernatural had anything nailed on that I'm right. going to be safe during any sort of demon situation because it, it, I've heard it so many times There's a story <laughs> and if my mom listens to this podcast um she will uh yell at me for again um I've told this story before but there's a movie that some of you may have seen called The Exorcist Yeah um when mm-hmm. I was a kid my punishment was to watch The Exorcist 12 times because I lied on my homework once. And if I didn't change my ways, I was going to be possessed by the devil. And my punishment was to watch The Exorcist again and again and again until I decided that I wasn't going to lie on my homework anymore. My solution as a rebellious uh, kid and eventually down to the teenage years was just to not do homework ever again, um, because clearly homework leads to demonic possession. But if you um, wonder why I write about occult demons and death, it's because the very foundational memories I have as a child are centered around the movie The Exorcism. Um, that's why. 
but it's that's fun. No wonder I am uh you know fell into Vampire the Masquerade in the nineties, which was arguably so much. It does. Um (laughs) but and like vampire uh VTM in the nineties was so different than TSR, right? When TSR was thing before it was Wizard of the Coast, because at the time TSR was dungeon crawl, no role play. Go kill the monsters, it's you versus the GM. Vampire the Masquerade was a tragic tale of personal storytelling and horror. And so I always came from that route. So at since we're writing things for Storytellers Forge, we kind of tend to bring the storytelling style of novels and other elements to these various game lines. Um, for Here me, it kind of take it back to what we were talking about. Yeah, well, <laughs> you know, logic. All right, we'll go back. Well, Casting. I didn't get to say my version of this, and see, mine involves the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Ooh, Frankfurter oh. or uh... Columbia, but Columbia. The- is i actually that's how i got into dnd i used to play video games all the time in arcades because that's how you had to play them until i had my atari which was pretty badass because i had the little rollerball and i could do the centipede games yep old school that's that's my that's where i come from but no i i started doing uh the rocky horror picture show when i was 14 because that seems like a good idea doesn't it hey <laughs> i passed i passed my virgin test at the same age so they're, yeah, and and they play Dungeons and Dragons, and I was like, "What the hell is Dungeons and Dragons?" Right, oh. and then all of a sudden, I was playing First Edition, where you could parry the fireball with the mage, literally hold it in front of you, and all right. parry the fireball with it. So, so you can calculate Thacko then. Oh yeah, no, I know what Thacko is, which for anybody listening was a code for to hit armor class zero. All right, they took out a Dungeons and Dragons because it was too much math. <laughs> so and surprisingly as many people who listen know i don't do the maths but i could do that math <laughs> the nerd math i could do the nerd math but that was my entrance in was with a bunch of epically and they used to do larping so they did larping they did um all of this and this was my entrance in was through this way and my mom was firmly convinced that i had been turned to the path of satan Yep. You know, because of that you know, <laughs> between the garter belts that I needed because that's also back when cosplay I'm not going to say it's easier but it is a little easier now to get pieces of costume when we did Rocky Horror which was underwear and a lot of spangles like you couldn't get it easily so going in like I need to have this garter belt and all this other stuff and by the way I need to go to this store and buy these dice for my Dungeons Dragons game <laughs> My mother's head, if I could still envision it, was like exploded. It was like oh, stairs, I, like I know. I, I, I absolutely <laughs> remember the time where I had to walk into Kmart to buy oh. outfit parts for Frankfurter for me to go on stage and sing and dance next to Jason, who wanted to wear a gold speedo and be Rocky. Um, <laughs> Like, that's an element and a time of confidence I don't know if I'll ever manage to get back. So I still applaud any cosplayer um, who's doing the thing, especially considering, like, anime cons are anime cons. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's true. Okay, so now that we went down that rabbit hole where all of us need to delete at least 20 minutes of this podcast for... (laughs) 
No, just kidding. Just kidding. Who gives a shit? There are pictures of me and videos on the internet for this. I don't care. Because one <laughs> went back and did it again about six years ago because I thought, because some of us are willing to put our garter belts back on Rick, and do this again. You know, it's fun. Look, okay. I'm, I'm just saying I did do a burlesque show as Casey Jones just before pre-COVID. So, um, <laughs> you know, I'm not opposed to garter pelts. <laughs> it's I just got to be in I the think, right setting. I just think there needs to be a module that it somehow involves this in the black. <laughs> not, that, uh, I, I mean, you are dead and bored, but uh, I don't think that's part of our storyline just yet. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> notes somebody take notes okay so let's let's talk about the launch so what is happening right now with the black ballot what is what can people do find how do they participate inquiring okay, so um making a tabletop rpg game as you guys have listened to this podcast and or watched for a while now requires a lot of people and a lot of elements uh Right now, you can go to Backerkit on March 7th is when we go live for crowdfunding. And that determines just how big of a book we can make. The higher goal we reach, all of the funds go back into the production of the actual book, whether it be print quality or stretch goals of extra content. We have um, entire player classes, all these extra things that we want to write in the base book. But we have to go live on March 7th to crowdfunding because we have some element to produce a lot of things, but it does determine that, you know, artists and artists and writers like to get paid for their time and beautiful illustrations, which actually I freaking love because they take what we write and turn them into beautiful images. And so we have to raise funds. But right now, March 7th, backer kit, that's our date. And we have a 30-day window to hit our funding goal and unlock any stretch goals. After that point, all of the stretch goals that we have are centered around really awesome things, like a new godless class about what happens if you're playing an atheist in a divine world. Um, we have contributor raises because at Storytellers Forge, we actually believe that people should be paid for their creativity. And I know that that's not something that is uh, added into the book, but it is makes people more invested to make better things in the book. And then we have soundtracks, extra elements, even a graphic novel pr propositioned as a stretch goal. So we have a lot of things that we can hit. We have a lot of things for players, storytellers, and even just enthusiasts about the gaming sphere that want to actually support a studio that's coming from the ground up. And how you can do that, here's the actual call to action. Is, I was going to say, can you get the call to action go out to, there? Thank you, If Pat. you just go, I'm going to keep it simple. If you go to storytellersforge.com, there will be a link. If you're listening to this, Eric, will this episode it come out before? It will be in the show notes, absolutely. So, and it'll be in the show notes. Will this episode, is this coming out before or after March 7th? It's been coming out before because, hello, this needs to happen. Yeah. So if you're listening to this, so there's going to be people listening to this probably before and after, right? Because not every, So if you're listening to this before March 7th and you're interested, please click the link in the show notes to add your email to the mailing list and what's going to happen is what's, what it goes so then you're gonna have to you're not gonna have to worry about what was that date again 
They said March But you're gonna get a convenient email from us on March seventh saying, Hey, guess what? That super cool, awesome book that was made by those three incredibly charming and delightful human beings and a bunch of other people too, but the three charming and delightful that you heard on this podcast, um are is live. You can go get it now. And that would be great. If you're listening to this after March seventh, you can go get you we would love your support. Click the link or go to our website and and go reserve a cop go reserve yourself a book. And I would say if they're listening to this in the distant future, chat, just look up the black ballad because it's gonna I be mean, yeah. at every con that you could probably it's gonna up. be at every con, it's gonna be in every yeah. every store, every major retail, you know, <laughs> yeah, chain, exactly. your local bookstore. So that's gonna happen. That is mm-hmm. awesome. This has been so much fun. You guys are so epic, regardless of what Rick said to start with. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) that look Rick just had said it all. You guys got to check out the YouTube. That was pretty perfect. Oh, my God. This has been amazing. Guys, this has been Drinking with Authors, and this has been Storytellers Forge. Woo-woo! And the release of the Black Ballad. Epic, epic, epic. So I... why are you doing Satan symbols? My mom was going to get so pissed again. Like We I just, just talked it. about Satanism literally five minutes ago. <laughs> Why we can't have And that? also, this is the Metal Horns. It's a metal book. Diamort is involved. Yeah, go the website. Nope. Wrong thing. Wrong thing. No. Wait, wait. <laughs> Guys, I've been your host, Erica Lance. My amazing guests have been Ash, Pat, Ed- Pat Edwards. Oh my gosh, so much whiskey and Rick Hines, and we will see you guys next time. Don't forget to like and subscribe. Yeah, go do that. Cheers.